from Wildcats to Weber State Weekly, a member of the Big Sky Podcast Network. I'm your host, a man who would opt out of a Chili's gift card anytime, Colby Peterson. On the pod today, we have a man who would opt out of store-bought chicken stock, Dustin Chapman. If you've never made your own chicken stock, you genuinely are missing out. You have no idea. <laughs> and next, we have a man whose only fast food opt-out would be KFC. Sorry, Colonel. We've got John King. It's the only food I've ever gotten food poisoning from, so I'm never going back. (laughs) (laughs) I can't blame you. On today's show, we're going to be doing an Idaho basketball preview with Tubbs of the Club host, Chris Hammond, a fellow member of the Big Sky Podcast Network. Uh, Next, we'll be also talking a little bit about last weekend's hoops, uh, talking a bit about SUU and how those games went with the Spectrum's Chris Kwasinski. Going to talk a little bit about that and also want to talk a little bit about uh, SUU making their way toward the WAC. So check out that. That. And finally, we're going to wrap the show up with a little game called Fill in the Blank. Got five takes for our panel today. We're going to get their, get their ideas, get how, what they think. But first, if you haven't already, please subscribe to the show, whether that's Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or Stitcher. All of those are good places to get Weber State Weekly in your ears each week. You can also follow us on social media. We're on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. Twitter is one of the best places to interact with the Weber State Weekly team, especially on game day. And finally, if you uh, have some friends or family who are also Weber State Wildcat fans, please tell them about the show. That way they can subscribe and get this great content right to their ears every single week. Hey, Wildcat fans. This episode of Weber State Weekly is sponsored by Wildcat Rack. If you're looking for one-of-a-kind, officially licensed Weber State apparel, Wildcat Rack is the place. All the designs and apparel are made right here in Weber County by people who know and love the purple and white. Check out the latest designs by going to their website, wildcatrack.com, and be sure to follow them on Facebook and Instagram for new designs and sneak peeks as they become available. Now, back for more Weber State Weekly. All right, Wildcats, we have a special treat for you. We are welcoming Big Sky podcast member and host of Tubbs at the Club, our friends up at the University of Idaho. We have Chris Hammond on Weber State Weekly. Chris, thank you so much for coming on. Uh, Yeah, no problem. Uh, I don't know, you know, people probably can't see this, but I came prepared. I've got my Weber State championship shirt on. (laughs) Man, look at that. He's a team player. Rocking the Weber State Wildcats football champ shirt. So, Chris, uh, Wildcats will be taking the trip up to Moscow this week. We'll be facing the Vandals in their building. And so we thought we'd chat with you a little bit to talk about what we can expect. What are we going to see on Pluto TV? And um, kind of what what's what's going on with this Idaho team? So just wanted to start out by asking you kind of give us your sense of this team. Like what should Wildcat fans expect when uh, we when we tip the ball on Thursday night? Uh, first thing, uh, when you turn on to Pluto TV, make sure you're, you're ready to see every single line that's ever been put onto a court ever. True. Um, <laughs> we, we might touch on this a little later, but the facility is uh, in need of replacement. It's very, very old. Uh, so don't be taken back. It is indeed a D1 basketball game, even if the team you're playing and the facility it's in does not represent that. Um, but yeah, it's been a r- rough year for the Vandals. Uh, things just aren't really going our way. We haven't really recovered. We had our coach removed um, for some recruiting and coaching violations that at the end of the day were very minor, but you know, that's just kind of the way college athletics go at the time. The president was looking to make a move. So he used it as an excuse, but it was like, 
a coach who's not allowed to be a coach standing as a cone and stuff like that. Um, and those were the glory, you know, when Idaho first came into the big sky where we were, you know, kind of up there with you guys in Montana where we'd be ranked third or fourth or one year we were projected to win the conference and um, things have really fallen off. We had a lot of transfers leave after that. We had our star player, Vic Sanders graduate. Uh, and then we, we lost the coach and we had an interim tag for a while and the team's never really recovered this year. We're over 11 right now. Uh, if you go back to last year, we only have four division one wins and the past two seasons and you know uh, it, it's been rough, but I'll say we've got this weird thing going for us right now where you're looking at the 12 minute mark, basically uh, in the second half, everything falls apart. Do not be shocked. If on Thursday uh, you guys are kind of like, Holy, Holy cow. How are these guys hanging in there? And then about 12 minutes left in the second half, you'll go on like a 30 to seven run. And won't even be close. But a lot of the games we've played in this year, we've hung surprisingly close to where we actually, on our podcast, uh, you know, Twitter, we're encouraging people to turn it on. And then sure enough, maybe it's us jinxing them. But the wheels just fall off immediately at about the 12-minute mark in the second half. But uh, so, so expect a, a close game early. But, I mean, I don't want to pump you guys too high here. I'd love a, a upset win over Weber. But um, I think in this case – you guys are looking at a, a clean sweep up in Moscow. Yeah, because uh, like you said, there have been some some really decent performances by the Vandals thus far this season. Uh, hung tough against Wazoo. Uh, I, it feels like so many so many Big Sky schools got their crack at Wazoo and just <laughs> couldn't get over the hump against those guys. But the Vandals had uh, one of the better performances, I'd say, against them. Yeah, uh, it's actually the long... Now that the Ivy League did not play this year, it is the longest running... A non-conference basketball hoops game uh, is Idaho versus Washington State, which is pretty, pretty crazy. And yeah, so in my family, uh, everybody's Cougs or Vandals. So my cousin was like, "Hey, do you want to place a bet on this?" And I was like, "Man, we're like bottom thirteen team in the country. I'm not trying to get a get a, any action on that." Didn't watch that game really. And then at halftime, he sends me a text and goes, "You should have taken me up on that. Watch that whole second half." And I mean, you know that it was it was close. At one point, we had. I think a double digit lead for a while. And I mean, once again, around that 12 minute mark, Wazoo went on something like a 27 run and you know, that, that was all she wrote, but uh, it has been a struggling season. Uh, we held Southern Utah close, which I know you guys are pretty aware of that program. Um, yep. Just saw them last weekend. Yep. And I mean, you kind of, it's so weird playing these teams back to back. Cause you guys yep. kicked, what you guys won by 20 on Thursday and then lost yeah. by Five. Yeah, it's a it's five, but really we lost by a, it was a one possession game, right? Like there, if you watched the game, uh, we were up by one with fifty nine seconds to go. Uh, unfortunately, Isaiah Brown gets his pocket picked. They get an easy bucket at the rim uh, layup, and then we're down one. Pressure's on. Another costly turnover. Wildcats end up losing, you know, goes to free throws. Yeah, you lose by five, but really, I mean, you're you're pretty much losing by a possession there. So just a heartbreaker. But like you said, difficult to play these teams back to back. The Wildcats have had trouble with that, blowing out Portland State and Southern Utah in the first game and then really struggling and losing by about a possession in the second game. Hey, Chris. Um, so you know, you kind of talked a, a, a bit at the beginning just about how, you know, 
a lot of turnover at the beginning of the season, new coach, you know, a lot of transfers, losing your best player. I kind of wanted to ask, like, you know, what were the expect, what were the expectations of Idaho Vandals fans like going into this season? Um, were you guys expecting kind of a rebuilding, you know, turnover year or, you know, what were kind of some of the expectations you had at the beginning of the year? Yeah. So we were, we were expecting rebuild. Uh, so last year, our current coach, Zach Kloss was interim all season after Don Verlin was, you know, removed and, Obviously, last year's record's not great either, but what we were sold on with the hire and removing of the interim tag was we beat Eastern at the end of last year, who was obviously probably the favorite to win the tournament last year and go on uh, to the NCAAs. Uh, and we were sold on that. The team was starting to come together. The, the, the results started to look promising. We were getting close. We were in games. We were winning some games. Even we hung Montana a little bit close last year. And that's what we were sold on is, all right, the program went through a lot of turmoil with Verlin just getting removed out of nowhere. And then we just need to start a season. Uh, and it looked rough, but Klaus seemed to have it in the right direction. So we were sold on that. And that was the talk all this summer was, you know, he's got to bring in his pieces. He was stuck with whatever Verlin had left. Uh, and we were promised, you know, rebuilding. Uh, and I think most people would expect a little bit of a rough season now. Oh, and 11. And honestly, a real shot. If we can't beat Idaho state here at the end of the year, at possibly going winless, which is almost unheard of in college hoops. Uh, I mean, it's safe to say there have been many letters that we've been brought aware of to our athletic director and our president um, bringing up how Klaus might've already lost his job, even if he can turn it around this season, um, which is unfortunate because he is a nice guy, but we expected it to be rough, but 0-11 rough, I don't think anybody saw coming. So, Chris, a couple questions. I'll maybe go a little larger view here. Um, growing up, when I was young, Idaho athletics was, frankly, bigger than Boise State in the big sky. Mm. <laughs> I regularly remember battles in football and, and Idaho going to the playoffs and Weber not. And, you know, looking at your basketball record, I mean, you guys have had really good coaches, <laughs> you know, <laughs> Tim, Tim Floyd, Kermit Davis, Larry Eustachie, which a lot of USU fans know, uh, Joe Cravens. I honestly didn't know that Joe coached at Idaho before he came to Weber. <laughs> um, so there's a big, big stretch. What's happened with, with, with Idaho athletics to, to take it to where it is today. Yeah. Um, and you left off, you know, big one, Don Monson, um, you know, he got us all the way to the sweet 16. So, I mean, Idaho has, a great basketball history between Mac Hobson and uh, Gus Johnson and some of these other like all-star players and coaches. And you nailed it. It's funny. You brought up Larry Eustachie. Uh, we had the ESPN personality in Boise on a couple weeks ago and he keep bringing us up. He's like, you guys should go out and hire Larry Eustachie. He just moved back to Idaho apparently. But I mean, you're right. Yeah. We had, we had a spell and it's, it's not just basketball. Uh, you go to football with uh, you're talking about Dennis Erickson and John L. Smith are coaches uh, for Idaho that go on to do great things. Erickson being one of the coaches at the U who won a national championship after Idaho. Um, you know, I think it all fell apart when we went chasing Boise state. We brought it up. Boise state has become animal that they didn't used to be. Uh, and I uh, talking to Weber people, you guys get it more than maybe most in the big sky. It's hard when you have a big program in your state, especially when it's in the population center 
of the state like Boise is. So we kind of got stuck going the flagship university, the land grant university, the university with all this history. Now you have this, what was a junior college until the sixties, seventies, um, really making a push in the nineties to become a major program. And you're going, now you're fighting for funding, you're fighting for eyeballs. And so we probably made a jump that we shouldn't have um, leaving the big sky in the first place. And you can see that we took a tumble after we left the big sky in all sports, including uh, hoops. It, it was just, it was not good for us being in the big West and then trying to figure that out. And then the whack. And then finally we return home to the big sky and you start to see a little bit of success again in hoops. And then uh, the coach got fired, but it just, it all came to, we really were trying to be pushed Boise state. And you know, at the end of the day, you got to view it that you're a decently small school with about 12,000 in enrollment in a rural community next to a PAC 12 school and your state capital and populous center are 300 miles away with a school that's just become more popular. And I think Idaho fans got too preoccupied, you know, trying to chase that dragon of Boise state that we kind of let our house become a mess. I, I do think we're right the ship. I think football is being written right now. I think basketball right now, you're looking at a temporary blimp. I think you'll see, hopefully if we get a new guy in or class figures it out, we'll be back to where we're not. I mean, right now we're one of the worst teams in the entire country, let alone the big sky, which for a, a state school is embarrassing. Usually you're getting, you know, these little tiny, very underfunded schools, which is not Idaho, which just makes it all the worse. But a long about way to hopefully answer that question for you. Yeah, no, 100%. Uh, two things to build off of that. One, I don't think people, especially Weber State fans, uh, if you've never been to, to Moscow and Pullman, you don't really realize just how close those, those towns are. <laughs> I mean, they're, they're kind of off in the, you know, when I went there, you go to Coeur d'Alene and just head South and drive through rolling Hills for about two hours. And then all of a sudden there are two cities on the border of States that both have really good sized universities. And, you know, I've made this joke to you. It's, it's two sister cities that are basically separated by a Walmart right on the border. And, you know, <laughs> yeah. there's to me, a, you know, living up to not only Pullman and Washington state being literally a couple minutes away and then also chasing Boise who's in your state and who used to be a bigger school then. I mean, that's, that's rough, but yeah, you know, we, we get it down here a little bit. It, was it the wrong move? I, I don't think people down here necessarily ever expect Weber to, to hop up um, and go FBS, but was that the wrong move for Idaho? Is, could it have worked eventually long-term or, or was it just the wrong move from the get-go? So, man, that is the wish I had a crystal ball answer, right? But, uh, you know, you look, our early years were not bad. We actually won the Big West, beating Boise State, Nevada, uh, so schools like that. Um, I believe Utah State was still in it at that time. If not, they were in the Sun Belt. We became conference members with them a little bit later, which, you know, Weaver State fans are pretty familiar with the, the Blue Aggies. Um, but, you know, we made one bad coaching hire, which sometimes – can take a program. Uh, we went for an alumni. We hired uh, Zach Cable, who's you know famous for being the Raiders coach and punching a player or another coach, something like that. But uh, he took a nine-win team or an eight or nine-win team and consistently started winning one or two games. Then we hire Nick Holt out of the USC tree. That doesn't really work out. We piss him off by going behind his back to hire 
hired Dennis Erickson, who'd been fired for some Steve Sarkeesian's type stuff from his last couple of roles. Uh, he leaves us after nine months to take the job at Arizona State. You bring in Rob Akey. He kind of got the program going, um, but uh, that didn't work out. And then <clears throat> an unpopular opinion, even among Idaho people, is I think Petrino did have a building. You look at what he had to step into football-wise. Uh, he had to step into – when he took the job in 2013, we did not have a conference. We were FBS independent. Then we were going to the Sun Belt, which, I mean, nobody needs to pull out an atlas to realize Idaho is not close to when they're close to schools in San Marcos, Texas. Uh, well, I guess technically La Crucius, New Mexico. But either way, not close. Uh, when New, New Mexico State used to be one of our further games in the WAC, um, you know, it, it did hurt. And you look, we got to a bowl game in 2016, winning nine games, smoking Colorado State. Uh, then 2017, we're a couple games away. Our starting quarterback goes down with four games left. That's when the kind of the Paul or the Mason Petrino quarterback started. Uh, he gets hurt with uh, one game left. We put in Colton Richardson, who goes on to win that game. So you look, 2017, we're an injured quarterback away from probably making a bowl. Um, so in that sense, it looked like we had everything going. I mean, in, in the long run, the plug got pulled on us 18 years in, 17 years in, and at about 20, it looked like we might have figured it out. The problem was we didn't have the big sky. Had the wax stayed together, it makes sense. But at the end of the day, you look at what New Mexico State's doing. Idaho doesn't have New Mexico State's basketball program, the Florida Athletic Department. We couldn't have survived as an FBS independent in much longer than probably this year, especially with this pandemic. We would have been done. Um, so seeing what the pandemic caused, the Mountain West hasn't opened up. Conference USA hasn't invited New Mexico State. So we'd probably be right where we are anyways. Uh, had the WAC stay together, maybe things were different. Um, that was a solid group of schools with Utah State, uh, Fresno State, Boise State, et cetera. But I think the big sky is 100% where Olympic sports should be forever. Um, now, some I know on my, our podcast, we have a theory that football needs to become its own animal and have their own conferences. Um, in that case, that's where maybe another conference with like a Weber, Montana, Montana State could make sense. But I think at the end of the day, the big skies where we're meant to be. We're happy to most of us are happy to be here. Um, it's definitely still divisive within the fan base. But at the end of the day, I, I think you can look at Idaho and say it was a failure. So whether in the long run it would have worked out, I mean, this pandemic's probably put a, a final chapter on that. That no, we would have been maybe folding sports all together with how things are going without a basketball program, especially the way our basketball program is now. So, yeah. So Chris, I wanted to wrap up by talking a little bit about that basketball program. Um, like we said, the Wildcats are making the trip up to Moscow. And so as an Idaho fan, um, what about the Wildcats is making you nervous about this set of games? Uh, they're good. Um, I mean, it's kind of, I mean, you're looking at Montana is not really being what Montana is supposed to be this year. You're kind of yeah, looking at, yeah, Weber Eastern and kind of Montana state this year, which is kind of a surprise. Yeah. You, you usually don't, Weber's always going to be one of the, the tougher games. Now, no fans. Uh, I feel like having it at home doesn't really benefit us where, you know, typically having this, if we were allowed fans, maybe it helps. We're dodging your guys's fans. Uh, Cause purple palace is probably the uh, Dahlberg's pretty tough, but I mean, purple palace is a cool spot. Um, I feel like it gets pretty energetic more so than a lot of places in the big sky. But uh, I, I mean, it, it, 
you're going to get a team that's going to fight. That's one thing I'll give Colossus teams. They haven't given up even when they're getting blown out, um, which is, it's a good trait to see. And it's what we were sold on. So, I mean, expect a battle for 40 minutes. And at the end of the day, uh, until about there's 38 minutes in, it will be close. And then those last 12, you guys will pull away and feel pretty comfortable, but I don't know. We'll see. We've played a lot better in the second games than we have in the first game. So Thursday might be a little rough, but Saturday, hopefully we can uh, piece some things together and uh, um, finally not like uh, our basketball host. I'm not the typical basketball host. Uh, we have two guys who do that, but uh, he coined it last week. and I love it. It was, we were probably the worst college basketball team with a weekly show. So that's our <laughs> well, claim to fame. Well, and like you said, uh, the, like we mentioned, the Wildcats have had a little bit of struggle in those second games, you know, letting teams get out ahead of them early and having to come back and, you know, falling short twice. Now uh, we've only played two conference series. So there could be an opportunity for the Vandals to make a run at the Wildcats in that second game, which will happen early on Saturday at noon. So Chris, finally, uh, last thought here. Um, we noted that, you know, the facility that you all are playing up in Moscow is a little bit old and that there's a new one on the way that you are building a brand new basketball facility. And from the mock-ups we've seen, it looks like an absolutely gorgeous, gorgeous facility. When will it open? And uh, when can we expect to see some, some conference play in there? So I know the goal open date as far as uh, being able to have alumni in there and have some kind of like ribbon cutting type deal. It's supposed to be maybe late summer, early fall projecting. It should be open for basketball next year. That is the goal though. That is like they have said it should be open. Our first game next year should be in there. Um, apparently they've been working to get a special team to come in. I don't know if that's Gonzaga. I don't know if it's Wazoo. I don't know if it's Boise State. I prefer to rather save them as other games, but uh, yeah, it's going to be $44 million roughly. It's all reclaimed, repurposed Idaho wood. So it makes it the largest wood arena in the entire country, which is really cool. Um, It's going to be absolutely beautiful. It's the ICCU Idaho Central Credit Union Arena. Uh, it's been, I mean, it's been a dream. I'm sure Weber gets it with facilities. Some of these facilities you've been talking about for years. Basketball for us, you'll see the one you're playing is Memorial Gym. It was last built in 1927 in, in honor of, you know, World War One veterans. So uh, then typically what we would do is midseason when the football team was done, they clean out the Kibbe Dome, they set up Cowan Spectrum, which is basically an arena with some curtains behind it and some bleachers, which was what our basketball facility was. And they've, they've covered that. It. It, it was hard to recruit because half the games are in the Mem Gym, which you guys will get to see uh, on Thursday and Saturday, which is, you'll be like, holy smokes. I mean, it's a cool venue, but it is not a, it's cool for intramurals and maybe volleyball, but not for, not for D1 hoops. Uh, but then, yeah, Cowan Spectrum was an all right arena, but they've been talking about getting a basketball specific just to help football too um, for a long time. And seeing it finally get done is nice. And we're just hoping we're not rolling into it with like a and 31 <laughs> loose streak because that would take a little bit of the energy out. So if the Weber State Wildcats want to be the one that give us that win, we'd, we'd happily take it. <laughs> Yeah, we shall see. And so uh, with that, I mean, I think once they open that facility, I think I'll make the trip. I've wanted to go to Moscow for a long time. And so this could be the opportunity to head up there and see that brand spanking new facility. Sounds really nice. And so we'll look forward to it. Uh, Chris Hammond, 
want to thank you all so much for coming on Weber State Weekly to chat a little bit about the Idaho Vandals this week. Um, like we noted at the top, Chris is the host of the Tubs at the Club podcast. So if you're interested in learning more about some of our Big Sky Podcast Network uh, uh, friends and colleagues, please go check them out. You guys are on, I'm, I assume, all of the normal places to get a podcast, Apple, Spotify, Stitcher, that good stuff. Yep. We're, we're on all of them. And, uh, we also do YouTube live on Tuesday nights for our episodes. Um, and then Saturdays after the games for basketball, we're doing like immediate kind of like actually we stole it from you guys. So, uh, the immediate post game. So hopefully we can get maybe one of you guys on to talk with Brian, who's more of our basketball mind and break down what hopefully is a Vandal win, but uh, we'll see. Hopefully at least yeah. it's a close game because some of these have been real rough to watch, but yeah, yeah come check us out and uh, thank you guys for having me on. It was fun to talk a little hoops. Yeah. We appreciate you. Chris Hammond. Thanks again for coming on Weber state weekly. All right. We want to thank uh, Chris Hammond from the Tubs at the Club podcast, a Big Sky Podcast Network member for coming on uh, Weber State Weekly to chat a little bit about the upcoming series against the Idaho Vandals. Uh, We'll also be seeing the Lady Vandals come down to Ogden and playing our Lady Wildcats in the Purple Palace. So watch for both of those series on Thursday and Saturday on Pluto TV. But now we're welcomed by... Chris Kwasinski from the Spectrum down in Southern Utah. He's a beat writer for the Southern Utah T-Birds. And so we thought we'd invite him on to Weber State Weekly to talk a little bit about how this last hoop series went. It was a split between the Wildcats, the home teams winning in each game on Thursday and Friday. So, uh, Chris, welcome to Weber State Weekly. Let's talk a little, a little bit of men's hoops. Yeah, thanks for having me on, guys. Yeah, we appreciate you taking the time. And so, Chris, uh, that first game, uh, I was really surprised. The Wildcats came out with a lot of energy and because uh, I was very nervous. This was a very good Southern Utah squad. A lot of really good senior talent on this team uh, have beat some good teams in the big sky. Uh, I wanted to ask, though, I mean, what was it about what the Wildcats were doing on Thursday night that got SUU so off their game? Well, I want to point to the the start that SUU had offensively. They were like over over ten, over eleven 10, from the field. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, and I think that's really that was really the the key in that game is that this team this year. The the biggest difference from this year to last year is that the offense is just night and day. It's so improved. There's a different confidence. Instead of thinking, okay, we have to score, but can we do it? They know we can score, and here's how. I think that's the biggest difference that you see. And when it comes to that first game, they just, the ball just didn't fall. And I think that kind of affected confidence. And I remember talking to some members of athletics, they say, you know, we got to get the split somehow just, just to get, make sure we have some confidence going forward. Just be, it's just that important. You know, it was, it was really important for the offense to rebound that second game because the first game they just couldn't hit. And when they started to hit the defense, wasn't stopping Weaver state at all. It, It was just a, it was just a perfect nightmare for SUU in that first Thursday game. Yeah, definitely. Like you said, uh, started out with some, some, some woes there. Um, still getting, uh, the, the name I think of SEU's game is to get the bigs in foul trouble. They're very good at getting to the basket and getting to the free throw line. And they were getting some of that, uh, once the game finally started getting rolling for them. But, um, I also wanted to ask, um, you know, I don't know. I'm pretty sure you watched the Thursday game. So uh, what were you seeing from the Wildcats? Like kind of what, what was, what was impressing you with what was happening on the floor there in the purple palace? Really, the rhythm with the bigs. I, I love watching Carlson and his game. He he can fluctuate anywhere, on the, and obviously he's so good in the post. But he can go out and he can shoot too. I mean, just having the importance of a guy like that and Kozak too. You know, guys that are just impressive that work in tandem with each other. A Bassett's just a very athletic big, and it's just the rotation they have down low is that's something SU has ever seen before uh, this year at least. 
And I think that's what really threw him off. Um, and, and in the second game, you saw how they transitioned and they kind of planned the game planned around those guys. But it, it was it was really impressive just watching those those guys and seeing how they just meshed well with the guard play too. Obviously, last year you saw how good Weber State was with some guards like Jarek Harding. But at the end of the day, like if you have that you have that mesh with the posts, it's hard to, it's hard to stop when you once you get it rolling. Yeah, uh, th- definitely. That was about the only thing that the Wildcats had going for them last season. You know, it was very, very difficult in the front court. And I'd say that the big difference, especially between the two games that we saw Thursday and Saturday, it seemed like a concerted effort by the SUUT boards to make sure that it was difficult for the Weber State bigs to get it. You know, Carlson did not have a great game. Normally, you know, we on this show, we've called him the walking bucket. Normally, he's very productive offensively scoring only four points. So kudos to the SUUT birds on keeping him out of, out of rhythm, not letting him get to his spots because it really made a difference. Yeah. The, that was the big thing I've noticed. And a lot of it was how well Todd Simon game plan with his defense in game two, a lot of the help side defense came from the guards. So they came down, they pressured uh, the kickouts. And so there wasn't a kickout to Carlson or Kozak for a three or it wasn't a kickout to a driving basset who can get up and, 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 just finish at the rim and they, they really contested the post with non post players. And I think that kind of threw him off a little bit. didn't really give him many avenues to, to shoot or try and, you know, finish at the rim. Like, uh, like he usually can. So I think that's the one thing that really threw him off in game two. Yeah. It was a bit of what Weber state was doing to SUU in that first game. A lot of help defense from the guards. Chappie, uh, you had a couple questions. Yeah. So First of all, kudos to your coaching staff because that's exactly what happened is that they got the big guys out of rhythm on on Saturday. I mean, that was it's been interesting interesting to me to watch them play back to back games and watch how the coaches adjust. Has it been that way in your other series? In both series, Weber State's played, and obviously we've only played two. That Thursday game tends to be Weber winning big, and then Saturday coaching adjustments are made. It's a much closer game. Has it been that way with you guys as well? Uh, I, I would say, yeah, that's that's usually the case that I've seen with with SUU, um, especially the last two big si- big sky series with Eastern Washington and Weber State too. The, the first game against Eastern, uh, I, I didn't catch much of that game, but um, I, I do remember just looking up and, and seeing you know, Eastern just Eastern just shot him, you know, outshot him, out, outscored him, you know, at the end of the game. And, uh, in the second game, they just made adjustments offensively and, uh, ended up scoring 99 points. So, I mean, it, it's, it's a testament to the coaching staff to the adjustments that can be made and finding out those correct adjustments and then making them within a couple of days and, and kudos to the players too, for being receptive to that coaching. Um, but I think that's, that's a fair assumption. It's kind of like the opposite, you know, uh, they don't really start hot that first game. Um, but when it comes to the second game, SUU is prepared. They have uh, a myriad of, of adjustments that can be made and they make them. Interesting. Yeah. So, and one more question. I know there's going to be fans out there who, who hadn't been paying attention for the past few years, but explain the short shorts if you wouldn't mind. <laughs> hey, oh my goodness. I, I actually, it's one of my favorite parts about watching Harrison Butler, not, not just because he's a good post player and he's just so much fun to talk to, but uh, the short shorts are just it, without really overthinking it that much. It's just part of his identity. It's just part of the team. It's just part of just them having fun and them bringing their own identities onto the court. And, uh, and if you look, if you look just below the short shorts, you see Harrison Butler playing with two different colored shoes. I mean, he's a guy that he, I don't want to say weird. He's just a fun individual that always knows how to make light out of any situation. 
Yeah. And he was, uh, I, they did an interview at halftime with him. It was obviously pre pre-recorded, but I uh, found him to be very well-spoken. Uh, that was a really good interview. I thought. Yeah. He's a lot of fun. Speaking of Harrison Butler, um, you know, between game one and game two, kind of a night and day performance. I mean, I would say he was probably the, um, the difference maker, especially in game two with 18 points coming off the bench. Um, just talk a little bit about like what his season has been, been like Has you know, has that been a consistent thing where he's been a big time option for you guys coming off the bench? Like how, you know, how has that gone? Yeah, he started a couple of games too. Uh, and my, my thing about what Harrison is he's always ready. You know, he's a guy that you can count on to come off the bench. You can put him in a starting lineup if you want to. He's not, uh, you know, he's not big, big, he's not a six, eight, six, seven guy, but, uh, he's, he knows how to use his size well, and he knows how to play other players. And, um, he also plays really well around the perimeter as in, he can also shoot. Uh, it doesn't really fall during games. Uh, it's kind of hard to evaluate how good he is as a shooter, uh, because he always plays so much in the post and the opportunities he does get around the perimeter. It's hard for him. Uh, to consistently get into that shooting rhythm, but uh, he's a guy that can do it all. He's a guy that, that I think next year when you see some of these guys graduate and kind of move out, will be into a more of a premier position uh, offensively and defensively. So Chris, I want to transition into another topic. Um, SUU announced their intention to leave the, the big sky conference recently. Honestly, I was surprised when, when Dixie announced their intention to go up to Division One and to FCS football, I 100% thought it would be SUU never letting Dixie into the big sky rather than it being SUU joining Dixie in the WAC. Um, why does that happen? I mean, what, what is the reason? I, we've been told by Matt Brown that it's more financial than anything else, lower traveling costs, but what do you hear down there? Why, why did they make the choice to leave the big sky for a, for a brand new conference, brand new football conference, at least. Yeah. Um, I think the one thing you have to uh, understand is Matt was spot on from, from the get go. He had everything correct. Uh, but, but the main thing, um, was number one was football was when the whack the whack has been coming to SUU for years saying, Hey, would you entertain leaving the big sky to come to the whack? And for a while it was no, you guys don't have football. I don't think that would work for us because that's our premier sport or one of our premier sports. And, um, but this, when this started happening, when the Texas four came to SCU and said, Hey, we're bringing back football. Do you want in? It was more so of a, nah, we'll, we'll think about it. And then as time went on, the president and the athletic director were like, yeah, this, this makes a lot of sense for like what you, what you just mentioned. It was a lot of the travel costs, a lot of the, the rivalries and that kind of thing. And, uh, you know, going in with, with Dixie state is, is a big thing. Uh, it's, it's creating something new down here, something that really it hasn't been like that since the sixties when both teams were Juco. And, um, and I think it's important to, to think about that rivalry as the driving, I don't say the driving point, but like the last pro that when the president and the AD looked at everything, they said, okay, now it makes sense. Now it's all coming together. Yeah. So would you say that, um, cause we, we wanted to talk a little bit about rivalry. Uh, one of the first things that we talked about here when we had gotten this news from Matt Brown and scheduled that interview was the fact that we weren't sure what would happen with, uh, the current rivalry, if you'll call it. I mean, the, some people have questioned that, uh, between Weber state and SUI. I think, I think that there definitely is rivalry. It's a game that I always circle on my calendar. 
talking to players at Weber State, they do too. And so would you say that, you know, the, the president at the AD at SUU felt that they wanted to really get something going with DSU as opposed to what was already happening with Weber State? Yeah, I think the one thing you guys have to understand is they, they see the rivalry. You know, they see how excited the players and the fans get up for that, that Weber State game. And um, I, I've seen it a couple other times this year where they said, hey, wear red or, or even last year when they were obviously allowing fans full time saying, hey, wear red to this game, wear red to this game or white out now. And uh, it, it really showed out when Weber State came to town. And it's always the in-state rivalry, which was a thing that SU thought this is, this is the novelty that we love the most. And one of the best parts about going to the WAC now with Dixie state and Utah Valley is there's two, you know, there's, there's the two in-state rivals that they have, and not only just football, but also basketball too. Um, they, they see the rival, but at the end of the day, what the president and the AD saw with Weber state was that Weber state was never going to make SUU their number one premier rival. It was always going to come down to, Idaho or not, excuse me, not Idaho, like Montana and Montana state. And those charter schools that have been with Weber state since the inception of the big sky way back in the day. Um, I did want to ask um, now that there is this move to the WAC DSU is already there. Um, Weber state will now continue to be in the big sky conference. SUU will be in the WAC. Uh, do you think that the rivalry survives? I mean, I love the beehive bowl. It's one of my favorite games. It pisses me off that SUU thinks that it's okay to have seven o'clock games in November, but I still go down there to Eccles Coliseum and freeze and do the thing. Uh, do you think it survives? I do. I honestly do. And I think that's, that's not, so that's something that the president and the AD have thought about too, especially as time has gone on and, and, and seeing how excited people get about it. And uh, I don't see why they wouldn't look at a potential non-conference game, you know, in, in the summer or you know, the August, September days where it's still kind of warm down here and say, Hey, you know, come on down. It, to me, it makes a lot more sense to play that game than it does to play a UNLV. You know, it does to play an FBS team, which is just where SU is just looking for a payday, obviously with Utah state or something like that, that makes sense. Cause I know the payout was going to be pretty big for this, the game that game had it played this year, but uh, when it comes down to it, that's a no brainer. I mean, you're going to pack the stands. You're going to, you have an in-state rival coming down from where you have history with. And I know just because SU is leaving the big sky doesn't mean that history is just gone. It's going to still be there. And I, and I, I think they know that. And I think there's going to be a lot of really exciting opportunities for non-conference games with SU and we were state down the road. Yeah. Because on this show, we worried a little bit that, you know, when you go into that non, you only have so many non-conference games in FCS football or just in college football in general. And so a lot of times at the FCS level, one of those games is committed to a money game like a UNLV, like a Utah State. You know, for this year, Weber State was looking at, you know, making the trip to Laramie and playing Wyoming. And so we we worried that with that out there and as a common thing that happens on FCS schedules, is there a chance that there just isn't room for this rivalry to continue out of conference because, you know, sorry, we want to play a premier team from the Missouri Valley football conference. And we want, we need, we got to get Utah state or UNLV or some other FBS team in there. And sorry, there's just not room. And then we want to tune up game and we want to play somebody D two, right? That, that was the concern that we were talking about here. Yeah, um, I, I can see that concern, especially when you're as good as Weber State is right now. Like that's kind of reminds me of SCU uh, schedule in 2019. Um, that was something that was set a couple of years ago, you know, coming off that big sky championship 
where I'm looking at the schedule and they're playing South Dakota, you know, they're South Dakota state, they're playing Northern Iowa. They're playing teams that are ranked in the top 15 of the FCS poll. And, and it's, it's, it's hard, especially for that SU team, which was rebuilding that was, that missed a lot of blocks that that was just not in the space confidence wise to, to compete with those teams. And, um, when I look at those games, I see maybe Weber state would rather play in Northern Iowa just as a test of, you know, where are we? But at the end of the day, uh, when it comes down to that season opening game, come whack play. I mean, maybe that's, that's something that, that opens the season for both teams. Maybe that's an, an annual thing. Maybe, maybe it is, maybe, you know, I, I, it's, it's interesting considering all the possibilities and, but you're right. I, I don't want it to fizzle out like, you know, Texas, Texas A&M just because they move conferences. And I think that would be sad. I think it'd be sad for a lot of fans that really did enjoy the two schools going after it. But um, when you consider the possibilities and consider what could happen and, uh, even now that the WAC only has six teams that are going to be playing football, like the opportunity for more scheduling still is there. And I think SU will take full advantage of that and, and get Weber State on the schedule. Well, uh, Chris, like we said, we really hope to see the continued run of the Beehive Bowl. It's one of my favorite games every year. I always make sure to go. I haven't missed one since 2017. Uh, because I had to go. I, that was a sad game <laughs> and I couldn't be there, but uh, we really look forward to continuing that. And so we'll continue to watch. Appreciate you for being willing to come on and chat with us a little bit about SUU and what's going on down in Cedar city. And so uh, hopefully we'll, we'll be seeing you guys in a, in a few weeks. If the this spring season does in fact happen, the game will be down in Cedar this year. And so we'll look forward to it. Yeah. I'm looking forward to it. Thanks for having me on guys. And we appreciate you. All right. We want to thank the Spectrum's Chris Kwasinski for coming on the Weber State Weekly to talk about SUU and all of the things that have happened this weekend and what will happen with the WAC. So now we're going to go to our C block. We're going to talk about this game we have planned called Fill in the Blank. What I will do is I will give our illustrious panel a sentence and we'll ask them to fill in the blank. So if you gentlemen are ready, uh, the Wildcats took on Eastern Washington Eagles this weekend in the Swenson gym and came away with two wins. So uh, with that, I wanted to ask our panel, who do you think the MVP of the weekend was? John King. So I'm going to go with, uh, with uh, Violet Adams for, but before I talk about, you know, Obviously, her great performance uh, this past weekend. I do want to say, you know, it is sad that AC couldn't be here today because there is no bigger Weber State volleyball fan in the world than that guy. Nope. So, um, you know, sad that he can't be here to talk about the team today, but I'm going to fill in. So you got to go with Rylan Adams because we look, we talked all offseason. We know Ashton Power. We know Danny Nay. We know what they bring to the table. And then to have someone like Ryland come in, lead the team in the kills both games, which I would have said was probably a little bit unexpected. Got to give a huge amount of credit to her for stepping up. And for that, she gets the MVP of the weekend. Definitely. In that first match, walking away 15 kills, two aces and five blocks. Uh, definitely a presence down there on her birthday, no less. So, uh, Dustin Chapman, uh, your take, the... MVP of this weekend's volleyball matches was? He's not here to hear this, but it's our guy, AC. <laughs> okay. He, he was calling the game, if you, want, if you tuned in on Pluto TV, and he's exceptional. <laughs> I'm not going to sugarcoat it. He does a very good job of, of calling a game. I, I tuned in, and I was very surprised. Not to say surprised that he couldn't do it, but just pleasantly surprised that the game was so well called. It felt very professional. But beyond that, the, uh, the, the, the team MVP, um, I'm going to just shout from the rooftops to the end of time that coach Larson is 
perhaps the savior of Weber State Volleyball and uh, needs to be here for as long as he, he possibly can and, and whatever the school can do to keep him, he's, he, they need to do it. Well, uh, definitely uh, want to keep Coach Larson around. Uh, just ex- just uh, celebrated his sixth year here, and it looks like he'll be for here for the foreseeable future, so look forward to that. Uh, now, fellas, I want to go to men's basketball. We had a split this weekend with the dirty... S-U-U-T birds. And so I wanted to ask you guys, um, men's basketball, we're getting getting into the conference schedule now. Going to start to think about seeding in the conference schedule and what that can mean for the conference tournament in Boise in March. The men's basketball team will be a blank seed for the conference tourney. John King, what do you think? They're going to be a three seed, um, in my opinion, just because, you know, I do think that... I don't think it's going to be possible to catch Southern Utah at the moment because one thing I'm really worried about is like you never know what's going to happen with all these COVID blowups all around like all around the country. So are there going to be enough games there in order to catch them in the standing? So for that reason, you know, assuming we get to play both games this weekend, um, I, I think that we're going to be able to climb to be a three seed. Yeah, uh, something that we didn't ask Chris Kwasinski while we were chatting with him. Uh, SUU announced today that they had a couple of positive tests in their locker room. So likely their series this weekend would be canceled and that may have repercussions on Weber state's own series up in Moscow this weekend, because there may have been some contact there. So we will see, but like you said, John, it has been difficult the Wildcats have already missed two series, one against Idaho state, one against Eastern Washington. So it could be very difficult to catch up with them. So three seed Dustin Chapman. What about you? What do you think the, uh, the Wildcats will be a number blank seed in the conference tourney. Oh, we're going to be the one seed. Ooh. We're we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna win out. The biggest series is going to be that one against Montana State. Uh, we're gonna we're gonna win out there, and then the other teams are going to start beating each other up, and we're going to take the top spot. Um, yeah, so there definitely is an opportunity to win out as Chappie says and go forward and maybe get a one seed. I don't know. I'm not a mathematician, not a statistician. So I don't know if that's actually possible, but if it is, Hey, all the better, you know, let's take our place. But the reality is quite, quite frankly, in this year, I don't necessarily think it matters where you're seated in this conference tournament, you know, maybe to get that first round by or whatever, but with everything so up in the air and the, the teams, it's, it's not like you're playing, you know, teams for the third or fourth time. Right. So it's, it's, to me, seating matters less this year. Mm. Um, next fill in the blank question um, with SUU leaving uh, the Wildcats have in the past had a number of preferred conference games that get played. SUU was one of those along with Idaho state and NAU. So with the Thunderbirds leaving the big sky conference, who feels that slot? So the Wildcats new preferred conference football game slot will now go to John King. We've talked about this a little bit before in previous shows. I want it to be Idaho. I think that, I think that, you know, they're looking for a rival. We're kind of looking for a rival. So let's just hate each other and be each other's rivals. So, you know, we both feel a need, you know, we, we assume that Idaho is going to be one of the better teams in the conference here in the next, you know, five, 10 years. So, you know, you build rivalries by playing big games against teams and having, you know, meaningful games that matter. And I think that we're going to play a lot of those against Idaho and that's where the hate built. And so, you know, I really hope that that is who our new preferred conference football team becomes. Definitely. Um, John King has noted in the past, his love of the Kibbe dome. And I 
wouldn't mind growing a new rivalry with uh, the Idaho Vandals. It's a, uh, seems like a good, a good school to build something with and you know, far, but not too far. So Dustin Chapman, what about you? The new, the Wildcats new preferred conference football game slot will now go to. So is this, is this like a situation where it's like, if you can't be with the one who, one you love, love the one you're with, is that, is that <laughs> what we're looking at here with? Well, you, you can choose. Uh, you can go ahead and choose. I mean, there, there are some options in the big sky conference on who you'll play every year. So I do, Idaho was a powerhouse in the big sky before they left. I, I definitely see that happening. I, John, to your point, I liken it to, and you guys are going to hate my answer because I hate geographic. I hate my answer because I hate geographic rivalries, but uh, Real Salt Lake and Sporting Kansas City, you know, they, they have a, a, a fair rivalry among the two teams and there's absolutely no reason to have the rivalry other than that they have played each other and they've hated each other in those games. <laughs> they've had many heated games and it goes that way. So yeah, Weaver needs to find that, but and I hate myself for even saying this, but the new, the new preferred team needs to be, is going to be Northern Colorado. Um, not because it is a geographic thing. It's the university of Utah and, and the university of Colorado doing the same thing. And, and I, I hate it, but the problem is all of the other teams already kind of have their, their, their built-in rivalries. You know, I mean, we would all love for it to be Montana, but Montana is not going to pick us. Right. Like we, We've, we've gotten, we've gotten no, nobody hot asking us to dance, I guess is the best way to, best way to say it. <laughs> that was a, that was a really good way to put it there, Chappie. <laughs> nobody hot asking us to dance. Uh, we're going to wrap up this segment now. Uh, you know, fellas, I've, I've really missed being on campus. Uh, it's been quite a time since we've been up there. Uh, hasn't been really any athletics going on, of course. And as an alumnus, that's the only reason you would go on campus right now. So I just wanted to say my favorite building on campus is John King. All right, so I'm, I'm going to preface this by saying this is a tough one for me because, you know, I was a graduate student at Weber State. Um, most of my classes, actually all my classes were taken on the Davis, Davis campus. So I'm going to go with something a little bit off the wall here. It's not really a building, but this fencing gym pickleball courts. I spent more time <laughs> on campus at those pickleball courts with various members of athletic department staff or, you know, people in the community playing pickleball than I did anywhere else on campus other than the testing center. And who's going to pick that as their favorite spot on campus. So pickleball courts it is. Yes, definitely. Some hot rivalry was born on those pickleball courts with John King. So understandable. Chappie, what about you? My favorite building on campus is? This is, this is going to be a hard one for me and I'm, I hope I don't even get emotional because I, it does make me emotional to talk about it, but uh, the engineering building that they, they just tore down was, it was my, it's where I took the majority of my classes for my major in construction management and, and really where I fell in love with Weber state. Um, I, I, you know, I, I went to night school. I, I was, you know, worked, worked full time, like many Weber state state students do and, and went to school at night and, and so I would get off of work, you know, come out from a snowy day out pulling concrete blankets around or Ugh. doing something unnecessary like that. And, and then I would, you know, come up to school wet and tired and maybe grab a burger on my way there. And I would go sit down in class in that engineering building. And it had a perfect view out the window looking to the west of the sunset every night. And as I, as I sit there, I just kind of let the stress of the day fall off of me and let the completely new stress of, you know, college <laughs> hit me. <laughs> um, I, I would always just look out the window and just watch the absolutely beautiful sunset all the time. And just, I loved it, uh, for that, you know, 
10 seconds that I would just stare out there and kind of have a quiet moment to myself. I, it really made me fell in love with the campus, just looking at that absolutely beautiful sunset. And we've seen it, you know, even you go to football games when they're at the right time in the afternoon, it's the same, same type of thing. So, um, I miss that. I, I miss that engineering building. I will say as well. And, and Colby, I think you even hit me on this a while ago, but it was also the only place where you wouldn't get a ticket if you parked behind the engineering building and in between the science building, it was the secret place to park where they never checked. Yeah. So after you told me that there have been a couple of times where I had to make a quick trick to campus and I didn't want to pay for parking. So I parked up there and, uh, Champy was right. <laughs> it was the secret of Weber state that is going to die with that building. If I was going to say a new one, um, that, that new science building is, I mean, that is a monster building. I, I, being in the building trades, like I did, the first time I saw it, I, the enormity of just how much square footage is in that building is absolutely astounding to me. Um, if I'm going old school and guys, I'm old enough to have gone to school here and seen it, but I kind of miss old building one and two <laughs> as, tr as trashy as they were. I kind of miss yep. seeing, seeing classes there and just having to be completely old school. Yeah, I will say that I never experienced building one and two, but did experience buildings three and four before they built Tracy Hall Science Center. Uh, by the time I was a student, Elizabeth Hall was there. So buildings one and two were no more. But if I'm picking really quickly, guys, uh, I will say that my favorite building on campus is Stewart Library. Stewart Library is the heart of campus. This is what makes a university a university, in my view. You got to have a good library. And so that one's mine. All right. So uh, we have uh, quite a few games coming up. Like we've noted in the in the past, uh, spring is going to be very, very busy up on campus and beyond. So Thursday, January 28th, women's basketball will be facing the Idaho Vandals in the Purple Palace. Like we mentioned earlier, that game will be at 6 p.m. on Pluto TV. And uh, the men will be facing the Idaho Vandals up in Moscow that night as well, 7 p.m. Mountain Standard Time. And also you can catch that game on Pluto and 103 won the wave Friday men's and women's track will be track and field will be hosting the WSU indoor invitational. There are no times on that. And I don't even know that uh, spectators are allowed, but it's happening. And also men's tennis is playing a tournament down in Las Vegas. They'll be playing Montana and New Mexico state that day. One at 10 AM, one at 3 PM. Uh, next Saturday, January 30th, women's basketball will be facing Idaho once again in the purple palace. That game will be at noon on Pluto TV. And men's basketball will be facing Idaho once again up in Moscow, 1 p.m. Uh, that game will be on Pluto TV, and you can hear it on 103 Won the Wave. And also that Saturday, women's soccer will be hosting an exhibition against BYU. Uh, we've got some history with this team. So 5 p.m. at the RSL Harriman facility. I'm not sure if that game will be watchable on Big Sky. Watch Big Sky TV, but... Uh, Check the website just in case on Saturday. You might find it. Then finally, we have our series against Montana. Women's volleyball will be making the trip up to Missoula. That first match will be on Sunday, January 31st. That game, that match will be at 2 p.m. on Pluto TV. Then the following day, Monday, February 1st, volleyball will be facing Montana again, 7 p.m. on Pluto TV. So with that, we're going to wrap up the show. If you have any comments, ideas, concerns, anything you want to share with us, please feel free to email us at WeberStateWeekly at gmail.com. Uh, we're also on social media, like we noted at the top of the show. You can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Twitter is the best place to interact with us, especially on game day. And we have a blog. There is a number. There are a number of great pieces being post posted to the blog about recruiting this week. So go and find some of that good stuff at WeberStateWeekly.com. Or if you're not already, hop in the Facebook group on Facebook. It's uh, Weber State fans. Uh, once you get in there, a lot of our content gets shared there as well. So with that, we're going to wrap up today like we always do by saying Weber State, Weber State. Great. 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 The Wildcats. <laughs>
Weber State Weekly is a Deep State Media production. It's produced by Colby Peterson. It's directed and edited by Dan Martinez.